Hello and welcome to your favorite comics and movie podcast, Army of Crime. I am your co-host, Matt, and I'm here with my co-host, Dustin. It's all co-hosts here. And we are looking at two things, uh, Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment, in case you were wondering how many ands you can fit in one title, which is a comic starring the titular Marvel Comics characters, and the Steven Soderbergh movie, Unsane. That is correct. You're not unsane there, Matt. It's quite the triumph of podcasting we've got here and there won't be any torment to go with it well let's hope not we'll let we'll let you decide that yeah we'll leave that up to the viewers i mean the listeners so first up uh we'll tackle the comic dr strange and dr doom triumph and torment which like i said is kind of a mouthful the reason why you might read this if it sounds random, is it does have some nice art by your friend and mine, Mike Mignola. Yeah, this is a pre-Hellboy Mike Mignola drawn uh, project about... Yeah, it had been previously established in a Marvel comic that Dr. Doom's mother's soul is being held by the Marvel Universe's equivalent of Satan, uh, Mephisto, and that every year he would uh, journey into hell to try to rescue her. So this comic is about Dr. Doom doing that while recruiting uh, Dr. Strange to help him. Yes. And I believe, was it not? I think it's actually established by um, Lee and Kirby, Dr. Doom's status as a sorcerer slash scientist. Yeah, that was part of the original conception of his character back in the day was that he had both studied like the material sciences and then also the mystical sciences. So he was kind of like a a scientist and also into like black magic and stuff. So I did like it. I did enjoy it. It is a very slim little volume. This is not a real lengthy work, which I was surprised by. For some reason, I expected it to be longer. It's kind of a short little read. It's part of the Marvel used to have this line of like Marvel original graphic novels, which were published in this kind of like a larger size physically like length and height but they were yeah pretty short like they weren't really all that much longer than like a regular comic book yeah you could conceivably publish it as like an annual or a king size or something i mean it's not much bigger than that but what i was going to go into was dr strange and dr doom as characters i think are interesting characters um doom as i mentioned being a lee and kirby character who was originally established as a sort of machiavellian dictator of an Eastern European country who's a rival to Reed Richards and Dr. Strange was the Lee Ditko sorcerer character, right? And I will say I do have an affinity for both of these characters. And I think what makes this interesting as sort of a Marvel thing um, is you get Dr. Doom as sort of a hero, right? Because he's normally a villain. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a villain, but he in this becomes is sort of treated as an anti-hero because He's his motivations are not like, you know, and it goes into his backstory, too. And it like shows how uh, he comes from a family of gypsies who are like persecuted in this fictional Balkan country of Latveria. And so he and so he has kind of this like chip on his shoulder when he leaves the country of wanting to like be the best and be able to like, uh, you know, go back to his country and like show them up basically, which he does. But yeah, he's not like, as far as villains go, he's not like, you know, Doomsday or the Joker or something where he's just like, 
this wild agent of chaos. He's more like a like a Ra's al Ghul or a Lex Luthor, where occasionally his selfish motivations might like line up with something like altruistic. Well, in this case, he's not acting selfishly at all because he's trying to rescue his family member or his mother. Yeah, and yeah, and he he's sort of that one of those villains. It's also like the kingpin, who is a great villain, and they're not like insane. It's it, they're like the villainy of like a mafia boss, or in his case, like a third world dictator, where their goals are like rational for the most part. They're just very like brutal and kind of straightforward. Like they're gonna steamroll over you. And it's interesting the scenario that brings them together doesn't feel contrived, and I think that's to the story's credit because sometimes I feel like there's a crossover. It's almost like a running joke, like the the, the superhero team up, and there's some kind of like overly elaborate explanations of what brings them together. So it's to the story's credit that we bring together these two characters who, once they're together, they do make sense together, and it doesn't feel contrived. And as you mentioned, the story is about them trying to rescue his mother's soul. And I actually like the depiction of Mephisto in here. Mephisto, as you mentioned, is sort of Marvel Universe's equivalent to Satan. He's also used as a Silver Surfer villain in Stan Lee's written um, Silver Surfer run. And he looks kind of, he has this interesting visual design where he looks recognizably like you would look at him and say, oh, that's like a demon. But he doesn't look like a, he looks also like comic booky, if that makes sense. And here they actually have a panel that shows you like his true form, quote unquote, where he looks less of like a human. So I thought it was interesting. And I liked the team up between the characters. I liked their little adventure. I liked seeing sort of behind the curtain on Doctor Doom. I don't know. What did you think about it? Well, you know, you mentioned this beginning part, and I did not care for that part as much. It felt like a very, basically, in order for the story to get Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom together, they have to get summoned to some sort of, like, odd, like, uh, sorcerer tournament of sorts and then so it kind of feels like the comic to me like burned through the first third of its page count just like figuring out a way to get these two together and i did not really i felt like that was not that interesting and then even when they get into hell like the first part of it just turns into like battling demons you know which to me as like a a story it gets more interesting later when you see like Doctor Strange sort of like plunged into like nightmare sequences of when he was like a, you know, selfish dick. And there's some sort of, and they're like falling through, you know, these like caverns and stuff. It, it gets more, I think, you know, because just them having to fight a whole bunch of bad guys, like that doesn't really feel like it's, you're really reaching the stakes of like being in hell. And so I feel like it did kind of get there eventually, but for as short as this comic was, I feel like it spent a fair number of pages just like getting to the interesting stuff. And it certainly also, you know, I really appreciated the uh, the origin, kind of like the background it gives on Dr. Doom and his family. Like I thought all that was really good. But also, you know, I would say as a standalone like graphic novel, I don't feel like like, if you didn't know anything about these characters, I think you would be slightly perplexed as to, like, why you should care and what's going on exactly. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the problem with the whole concept of, like, uh, Marvel, these Marvel graphic novels that you mentioned. They did do a bunch of these. I think God Loves, Man Kills was, like, an X-Men one that came out. 
um, in kind of this phase. And yeah, on some level, it's it's a standalone product that they're going to hand you, but really you have to know who all the characters are for it to work, which means it really isn't standalone at all. So the, the distinction between this and just if this had been like a six-issue miniseries seems kind of nebulous. Yeah. I will say that, you know, to me, the main draw here would be the art by Mike Mignola, which is still not... You know, it, it doesn't look that much like Hellboy art. Um, and it's, you know, like he has not become the Mike Mignola that we know now yet. So yeah. it looks more like a standard, more like superhero comic art. But as it is, I think it's really well done. Like, especially, you know, like the moodier scenes that you would think would be in more like in Mike Mignola's wheelhouse, like the flashbacks to Dr. Doom's mom in Latveria and, and her like making a deal with the devil. And then like some of the later stuff, like once they get into hell is all like uh, really nice. But you know, it's, it's interesting because when you're used to seeing Mike Mignola's artwork on his own books, you know, you, you really come to appreciate the way that he like paces out his panels and his pages in his own stories and really like lets them breathe more. And I think the way that this kind of like barrels forward at the relentless pace of your standard superhero comic um, is maybe not, you know, the best service to it, but. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever read cosmic odyssey, which is a DC comic written by Mike McNola. He draws a really great dark side like those new gods. And I think some of those characters, I like the way he just has them sort of stand majestically or like their body language. So that would be like dark side Mephisto. Some of those, I mean, dark side isn't demonic, but like evil overlord type characters. Um, he also did the art. I don't know if you've read this, the phantom stranger miniseries by DC. No, no. And I, I do like his, his superhero art. I, I agree with you. It's not, you know, we talked about uh, um, Hellboy a bunch. It's, it's not up to that level, certainly. And like you said, I, I would agree. I think it suffers from the fact that he's not also doing the writing. So you're kind of bringing me around. Yeah, I was saying, you know, when I first read this, I was like, oh, that was a fun little read. Now you're kind of bringing me around that it is perhaps too much of a little light kind of puff and not enough interesting content going on. Well, when you... I, I feel like there could have been more because the interesting part is the interplay between the two characters who don't really trust each other and they're in the underworld. And as you mentioned, you don't really get that until you're over the halfway point, which is certainly to the weakness of the thing. And I mean, the whole thing with, you know, Dr. Doom's mother, her soul is damned to hell because she made a deal with the devil to protect her son, right? Right. So, like, Dr. Doom, of course, he then feels this guilt because, you know, his mother is damned to hell because of him, even though it's not anything that he did, but it's it's still, like, he feels it's because of him. And that, like, motivation, you know, is, like, really interesting, but I, for the most part, it just, it just feels more just like a regular, like, superhero romp until you really get into it. And then the way that it kind of resolves in the end is also... I think really interesting, but like for as like weighty and, you know, as, as this premise, I think sounds, 
like on paper, it it uh, plays out in like a, I think like a fairly standard way. I mean, I don't think as far as like reading this, is this like a terrible, you know, example of like a Marvel comic? I would certainly say not. It's like a decent one, but I'm not sure that you know it really lived. And I think this comic has something of a reputation too as like being really like well regarded. But I feel like it was more just like okay overall. Yeah, and it it actually made me think a little too. I don't know if you've read this either. Jonathan Hickman's run, The Avengers and the New Avengers, which culminates in Secret Wars. I do not know what that is, no. Okay. I was going to say it also has a very interesting characterization of Doctor Doom, who I think can be a very interesting character because if you put him in the right situation, right, he'll do the right thing. You know, like if the Earth is being threatened or something, you know, he lives on the Earth. He's a rational being. He'll be on your side. But in some places, he's very ruthless and very heartless. And in here, I think it's interesting to try and parse out his motivations because in some ways it is unselfish and he's trying to rescue his mother. And on the other hand, it's almost like he takes it as a personal challenge, right? Like he can't rescue his mother, so therefore I'm going to do it. And you wonder if his motivation, like if he really cares about his mother that much or if he's just taking it as like a personal challenge to try and do something that you're not supposed to do. I don't know. I think I think Doctor Doom can be an interesting character in the right hands. I've never been huge on Doctor Strange, but I appreciate the elements of like summoning gods and magic in the underworld and stuff. I guess I could have gone for more of this. Maybe if it was longer, stretch out that middle section and have them get up to more when they're in the underworld. Would you agree with that? I think we'd both agree on that for sure. Yeah, I would have liked to see more, you know, sort of creativity in what, you know, battling the devil actually entails instead of just like casting, you know, magic beams. Like to compare it to, and obviously this is an extremely unfair comparison, but to another Mike Mignola comic like Hellboy in Hell, like when you think of all the varied things that can happen to him while venturing through hell in this comic, it turns into more just like, you know, shooting beams to kill lots of demons. Right. And yeah, and there's a lot of that in this. And I think the interesting part is when, you know, the devil is trying to like trick them, which is of course, right. the, de- the devil is a, is a tricky guy. Which is, yeah, what you would expect and that kind of stuff is, is right. I think you know, more, more along the lines of what would make, what makes them battling their way through hell interesting. Would you recommend this to someone? Let's say if they're not otherwise affiliated with either the artist or the characters? Probably not. Yeah. No, like if, unless you have a vested interest in seeing early Mike Mignola art, or you're really into Dr. Doom or Dr. Strange, I would say this is probably... Could probably live without. Yeah. Which is not to say that it's terrible. But, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Do you have a thumbs up or a thumbs down when they have Mephisto's real form and it's just like a giant evil blob? I don't remember all, that it's, part. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah, I always think it's interesting when you have these demon characters come into, like, a lot of fiction because obviously they could look like whatever they're going to look like, but they usually just look like evil humans, right? There's a, there's a part towards the end where they see his what is closer to his real form and he kind of almost looks more like like some kind of Lovecraftian giant blob thing. Okay, yeah, I'm seeing that now. He's like a giant mountain of fire with weird, like, floating eyeballs and spheres and stuff. Yeah. I kind of like that as a touch. But I would agree, yeah, it, it, it's light, it's fun. I, I, I guess I liked it, but I have sort of a soft spot for some of this stuff, so take that as what you will. 
So next up, we're going to talk about the Steven Soderbergh film Unsane, which is about a young woman who is being stalked by this uh, crazy guy who's infatuated with her. And she or, goes... Or is she? Or is she? Or she is possibly insane uh, or unsane, if you will. But either way, she ends up being committed uh, against her will to a mental institution where her evil stalker may or may not uh, also be working there. Yeah. And you know what I had the thought while watching this movie? I was like, was this shot on mini DV? And I looked this up. It's apparently shot on an iPhone. Yes. Yeah, so you shot this are, whole movie on an iPhone. Were you not aware of Steven Soderbergh's weird iPhone thing? I was not. I know he, didn't he, he did shoot a movie on mini DV, right? Or is it he, he shot multiple movies on iPhones? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the, the thing as he is trying for the the quickness and the mobility of it, and we can get into that. I mean, I don't know. I I thought it looked like uh, was ugly, but I mean, I don't know if you want to talk more about the film first. But I personally don't quite understand Steven Soderbergh's fascination with the iPhone because like it just makes it makes the film look like I. I mean, and you can tell me if if. Well, how you felt about this, but did you feel like that that look of it like added something to the story or was it just like a film that was ugly looking? I think it kind of worked. It gives it like a realness or a graininess that perhaps adds to the paranoia. Okay. Because that you maybe wouldn't have if it had been shot on like 35 millimeter or something. Does that, does that you know, by that? I mean, I, I like I think in theory, that's like the idea behind it. I'm looking it up. I believe this is the first of two films he shot on an iPhone. I could be wrong. Yeah, because uh, I remember while watching, like I said, I thought maybe it was shot on mini DV uh, or something like that, or like digital. So it shot on iPhone. I, I think it kind of adds something. I don't know if but it then, would be like a worse movie if you shot it on straight like HD digital or something. I mean, that's right. I think the the theory would be that the more like homemade aesthetic of it would add to like the claustrophobic grittiness of right. the subject matter like almost in like a dogma sort of way yeah like, and uh, i like i said i don't think it'd be a worse movie if you didn't do that i don't know i guess see, i'm my, kind my, of neutral i'm neutral on the iphone being shot on the iphone I my guess. counterpoint to that would be is that like there's plenty of films that effectively conjure a like paranoid claustrophobic feel that are that are beautiful looking and are shot on like 35 millimeter and instead of doing it with like the actual video quality you know they can conjure that feel through set design and through lighting and through performance so like while i can understand like theoretically that might be like the idea behind it i um feel like that that is m maybe not enough of an idea to to justify it but i don't know anyway like to get more into the film yeah so did you uh the the film kind of like sets this up initially as like a is um, basically the idea is, is that uh, the main character who's played by Claire Foy goes to a uh, she's like kind of a, a frazzled mess because she's still recovering from this like really disturbing uh, stalking incident, which we is only hinted at at the beginning. And then she goes to a free like a counseling session in which she admits that she has had suicidal thoughts. And then after that, she is unknowingly and unwittingly against her will committed to a mental institution. And then uh, it initially sets up in this uh, idea of maybe she actually is completely nuts 
or is she like being uh, persecuted for no reason? Say, I actually quite liked large portions of this movie. I don't know if you liked it or not. I, I end up being sort of neutral on the iPhone thing. Uh, I actually did quite like this movie, and I think there's some interesting things happening here. At points, it does veer into the formulaic, and I think ultimately is weaker for it. But there there are stretches of this movie where I thought it was very interesting, like what was happening. And some of that ambiguity about what's happening to her plays into that. Um, it certainly so, made me think of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the idea of like like mental health treatment as a process would drive them insane. I do feel like it kind of veers into, like I said, kind of formulaic territory and probably gives you a very kind of standard ending in a lot of ways. But there are there are some things that I thought were very interesting about this movie, if you want me to go into that. No, I don't. Okay, well, podcast over. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to say, and you, you can get into it, I was just going to say that I, I think that, for me, one of the problems with Unsane is that the script kind of like attempts to juggle like a few different things because this idea of like is she insane or is she actually being like held in this facility against her will by her stalker as i recall it gets like kind of settled fairly early and then it also then turns into this gets into this idea of and i looked this up afterwards and this is actually pretty fascinating this thing that facilities do where they commit people basically against their will in order to milk out their insurance payments and this is a real thing that has happened where some of these companies have been like sued by people uh, for like holding them against their will for like a week while they milk out their insurance. And in this film, I've in Unsane, I feel like it the film sort of unsuccessfully juggles A, is the main character insane? B, what's she gonna do about this stalker? And C, this corrupt institution is holding people against their will. I feel like the film kind of unsuccessfully juggles those three different threads. Yeah. And I actually found some of those elements interesting, and I thought that was the strong point of the movie, was you saw this system, and it shows us almost like an overlapping series of predators, because I believe her name is Sawyer Valentini, which is a super made-up film character name. Sawyer Valentini yeah. uh, herself displays some predatory behavior. Did you notice there's a way that she talks to people when she's like obviously trying to manipulate them? I don't know if I did catch that. There's several points in the movie where she's like clearly trying to manipulate someone and she uses this like really weird tone of voice uh, and like like almost like a personality mirroring. And yeah. of course, we notice at the beginning her job at this bank or something is to like screw people out of money. And her coworkers all hate her. Because she's like this very high end, like high energy person. And part of that is of course, probably sexism because she is a woman. But she very clearly is a person who is able to like manipulate people or something. Um yeah, that is actually one aspect of the film which I really enjoyed is that the script and the performance, the Claire Foy's performance, sort of present the protagonist as sort of like prickly and unlikable in certain ways instead of just being like, you know, the perfect victim who's trapped at the uh, by these like malevolent forces. She is kind of like a, an interesting character in her own right who is sort of like uh, perhaps like stretches the audience's sympathies a little bit at some points. Yeah, and that's there are there's at least three points in the movie where you can say she like you can see she likes flips something, and when she's trying to manipulate someone, her whole tone and demeanor changes. Um, and so I think she is in some ways sort of a predator in that way. Obviously, there's the other character that's a predator, right? Uh, like, in a is, different way. 
Well, yes, and I feel like comparing them is maybe not fair because he this guy is actually like uh, pretty evil, whereas right, she's just right. more like sort of a perhaps an unpleasant person in some ways. Right, and then the system is the system that's like sn- snatching up people. As you mentioned, the psychiatric sort of institution that's like gobbling up people. So it's like an institutional level of corruption that's just ensnaring people. And I thought the interplay between those three factors was interesting. That sort of unravels when you get to about two-thirds of the way into the movie. And no, I don't mean to suggest like a moral equivalent between them, I guess. Um, just that in the yeah, that she's... that is real life, you know, we all have these sorts of negative behaviors and they all kind of interplay with each other. And in this, you're seeing her trapped in this terrible system with someone else who's like preying on her. And then they're all being preyed on by like the system or the institution. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there's a character played by, uh, Jay Farrow who is actually really good in this movie too. He's, uh, I don't know if he's currently on SNL, but he was for a long time was, a. uh, well-known like SNL guy who is kind of becomes like her friend on the inside and he sort of clues her in to the racket going on with the psychiatric institutes like trying to milk people's insurance out but I would agree I mean I don't think that the film successfully really juggles those different things I feel like it kind of like loses track of it and ends up becoming muddled and then yeah like two-thirds of the way through it does but turn into it kind of like drops all of that and then becomes more of like a conventional thriller. Yeah. And that was the point where I started to get kind of disappointed because there was a point where I thought it was interesting, all those elements balanced together. Yeah. And yeah. And then at some point it just kind of merges them all together and becomes like a slasher movie basically, or like a thriller, like you said. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, the example I was using of her exhibiting predatory behavior, like spoils something from the end of the movie. I don't know if anyone cares. Uh, yes, there's a point at the end, which is a good scene where she, there's this like a uh, woman who's also in there who's kind of like, uh, hates her. And at one point shows her like a shiv that she's got hidden on her person and is like, I'm going to mess you up. And then later she basically attempts to, uh, seduce this woman in order to get access to like this shiv that she's got like hidden on her. So, and it does show you that, yeah, she is able to kind of like turn on this to basically get other people under her thumb for her own purposes. Yeah, and this does not work out well for the person that she's doing this to. Right. Yeah, and that's where I say it's kind of like this overlapping series of people who are preying on each other. And she's, I mean, she is one of them, because in that instance, she really does a bad turn on this person who is a mental patient, right? It's not, yeah. you know, they're in a ward. Um She's at the bottom of the people, right? She's like the least evil of all the people. But I thought that was an interesting element. As you mentioned, she's not just like a passive damsel in distress. And then you have the 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 system or the institution as a whole that's like the super predator that's like preying on everyone and allows the system or the situation to exist. But ultimately, no, I was not super impressed with the movie because I feel like it kind of runs out of steam and then it gives you a fairly straightforward, conventional kind of ending. Yeah, what did you think of the villain of this guy? Was like the I actually thought he did a really good job as the creepy villain. He's kind of pathetic in a way, and I suppose someone like that probably would seem pathetic from an outside perspective. Because as evil as he is, he, like I said, he's also he's, he's kind of pitiable. 
um, yeah. which is probably what a person like that would be. He's very deep into his delusions, but there are people like that. I thought it was a good villain, a good antagonist. Yeah. The thriller alternative would just be like a Freddy Krueger guy with like a machete, like chasing you. And Freddy Krueger a... does not have a machete. You're thinking of Jason Voorhees. Right. Jason Voorhees with the machete. Or Unless you are being facetious. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's a little more interesting than that. There's a little more to chew on. But by the end of the movie, it doesn't really matter. I would say, for me, I uh, thought this film was just okay. But I think Claire Foy's lead performance and maybe Jay Farrow's supporting performance as well are kind of the highlights. As I said, I don't know that the story is kind of like trying to do too much at once to me and then kind of like dropped it all at the end for more of like a conventional thriller. Like, I feel like it would have worked better if it just focused on one thing and just been a conventional thriller all along instead of trying to keep all these balls in the air. But yeah, like if it really was just a movie about involuntary commitments or something, like I bet this movie had a really good pitch. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing it was. There's a really good article about this kind of thing. If you look it up, it's kind of fascinating about these facilities that, that do actually have committed people against their will just so they can, like, milk out the insurance money. Like, there's a huge, giant corporation that owns, like, a whole bunch of these psychiatric facilities, and that's basically part of their business model. The point is, is that if you see, like, a flyer for a free psychiatric consultation... You, if you admit to them that you have suicidal thoughts, then legally they're allowed to like hold you there against their will for your own protection. So probably don't do that. So yeah, probably don't do that. Probably be uh, yeah aware of what you're doing there. So overall, I think it sounds like we're both kind of mixed on the uh, unsane, yeah. which it should be clear is I was talking before about how there are some people who are, you know, the, the Steven Soderbergh is definitely one of those filmmakers who has like a, a legion of like really hardcore fans who, you know, are jump at every film he puts out. But this is not generally regarded as one of his better films. So I don't know. Yeah. About, like dropping I'll a scorching him... hot take on anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I thought there were some strong elements. Like I'm sure it had a really good pitch session. But ultimately, it kind of unspools. And when it's over, it. Yeah. It's a pretty standard kind of formulaic, like, last third of the movie. I mean, I'll give him credit for trying to experiment, I guess, trying to try stuff, since he could just sit back on his giant pile of money like Scrooge McDuck, I'm sure. Do you think he's got a giant bin of Ocean's money? I would imagine so. Ocean's 11, 12, 13, 15, whatever. He's probably got a Scrooge McDuck pile of money. He's magic, got Magic Mike money now, too. Yeah, I, I'm sure he, he could not, he could retire on a private island somewhere. But, you know, at least he's trying something. As millennials, we will award Steven Soderbergh a participation trophy. I, I know that that will mean a lot to him, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I would recommend, on the topic of Senor uh, Soderbergh, uh, The Limey is a really good Steven Soderbergh film. It's basically about Terrence Stamp plays this British guy who comes to Los Angeles. This, he, uh, his daughter recently died suspiciously, and he ends up, he ends up getting involved with this uh, uh, 
you know, interrogating this sleazy movie producer played by Peter Fonda. But The Limey is a, a fantastically tense, really well-known thriller with music by the great Cliff Martinez, who's done a lot of great film scores and has worked with Steven Soderbergh before. So I would recommend that just on the topic of Steven Soderbergh. It's a great film. Well, that was uh, an episode of the podcast Army of Pri- Army of Crime. The website for this podcast is www.armyofcrime.com. And on that website, you can look up information of things that we talked about and or listen to the show and or leave comments about the show if you thought it was good or if you thought it was bad. The social media accounts for the hosts of this show are... Matt at Army of Crime and Dustin at Dustin44444. And it is possible to leave reviews for this show on places such as Apple Podcasts or other podcast applications if one is so inclined, which would be cool if if you're hearing this and you would want to do that. Matt, any final words for our dozens of fans? Well, if you see Steven Soderbergh, let him know we gave him a trophy. Yeah, let them know we thought that Unsane was, you know, an all, an all right, interesting effort, but he didn't quite get there. But we have a participation trophy for him. Yeah, he can pick it up in person at yeah. our podcast headquarters. Right. Until next time, kids, try and stay away from crooked mental institutions. That's the best advice I can give you. That is great advice. this podcast this bi-weekly podcast called army of crime that we do together oh is that what this is um yeah i'm recording this for a podcast this isn't just a casual conversation for fun